Okay, hi guys. Um, it's good to see you all. We are at the final furlong of our series. Um, final episode in our series, Superman HD. And what a, a series it has been. Um, just over a year and a half. And it feels like yesterday, me standing here um, to share John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, the prologue of the, the book. And so now I stand to conclude the epilogue. And um, it has been, at least for me, tremendous. It really has been life-impacting and my prayer is that it has been that for you. As we've looked at Jesus the Christ, the true definition of the Superman, he who is super, he's divine, and yet fully man, human. And we've seen how in Christ, God invaded time and space and revealed himself to mankind completely and fully. All previous revelation finds its culmination in Christ. And as we gaze upon him through the words of scripture, our hearts are enlightened and our lives are changed. And that was John's intent. John's intent was, as we know from chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John's intent was in writing this, that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Has your faith been strengthened? Is your faith being strengthened? You know, I, I spent many years of my Christian life in what is known as the faith movement. And despite some of the errors, errors and some of the excesses of that movement, there was something that was fundamentally good about it. There was an emphasis on trust in God. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And I think that in our day and age and in our life and times, even those of us who have come from that background, we've kind of arrived at a place where we're very... Um, it, we're very much more inclined to kind of try and reason and rationalize God. Well, if it makes rational sense, then I'll hold on to it. If I don't quite get it, then, hmm, you know what? I, I won't place my full weight and conviction upon it. But we are called to trust in God. We are called to believe in Christ and live like we do. John said that you might believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and in believing have life. And this life is a quality of life that is beyond the norm. In chapter 10, John talked about it being a super abundant life. And that's primarily in quality, not just quantity. People think about eternal life and we're going to live forever. We're going to live forever. Yeah? It's true, we are. 
But actually, there's a quality of life that even now we are to be experiencing. And so, how have you been encouraged in your faith? How are you being transformed in your life? That's what this is all about. Now, as we arrive at the, these last verses of the book of John, I think it's a really interesting conclusion. So chapter 21 is regarded as the, the, um, the epilogue of the book of John. And it's very much like, you know, when you watch a film, right? And as you watch the film, you get to the end of the story and the film feels incomplete. It feels as though there's, you want, you, there's loose ends that you want tied up. And so you're grateful on in certain occasions when the film will have some of the credits at the end and they'll they kind of have a picture of the character and they'll say, and, you know, Johnny, he went on to excel and be drafted first round for the such and such and such. And Susie, well, she fell off. And, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. They're like, oh, really? Did that happen? And this chapter is very much like that. It's, it's John tying up the loose ends particularly as it relates to Peter. Particularly as it relates to Peter. And it's really encouraging for us. Very encouraging. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a time where you've had an appliance or you've had an item of clothing maybe or some kind of gadget um, or, or, or anything of that nature, and it's broken. And you've looked at it, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to get another one. We live in a culture where that's very much... I was, I was not eavesdropping, but I overheard a couple of people talking, and... Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't eavesdropping. Why would you think the worst? Like how you don't love me? Huh? I said I weren't eavesdropping. Now I know normally when people say, I weren't eavesdropping, but then they really weren't. But I wasn't eavesdropping. I was actually in, in the, in, in, I was part of the, I was a silent part of the conversation. <laughs> That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. I was a silent part of the conversation. I didn't have anything to contribute. And um, this individual was talking about the fact that just shortly after buying their car, certain lights started flashing up to the point where they stayed on and they wouldn't go off. And, and the, the mechanic said, you know what, to be fair, it's the, the cost it would take to fix it is really not worth it. Just leave it. But I haven't had this car long. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, that's really so typical of where we're at. You know, we get a phone, it breaks, and it's just like, oh, you know what? upgrade or we get a hole in our clothes what was the saying they used to say uh, a stitch in time saves nine we're down to Matalan sports direct new socks new, like and very often we can be mistaken in thinking that that's how God views and treats us in our brokenness Let's look at the text. 
and then pray. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could could not contain the books that would be written. Father God, we thank you for your word. And for the way in which through it you reveal yourself to us. You reveal your person, you reveal your character, you reveal your your love, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that today our hearts would be encouraged, our hearts would be instructed. That, Lord, we would love you all the more, that we would trust you all the more. That, Lord, we would live in the light of that. Help us, Lord, I ask. Amen. Now, Jesus meets here with the disciples. They've had breakfast, as we've seen earlier in the chapter. Breakfast that Jesus has provided. And he now turns his attention to Simon Peter. Have you ever felt like God is picking on you? You know that that those times in, in class when... You're sitting there and the teacher asks a question and calls your name to answer it. And you're just thinking, why did you have to call my name? You didn't even hear the question, let alone know the answer. (laughs) And there can be times in life when it feels like God is picking on us. 
Jesus turns here to Simon Peter and he's in the presence of the other seven disciples, other six disciples. And he now begins to address Peter personally and specifically. I want to encourage you. Anytime you come to sit among God's people to hear God's word, do expect the Lord to address you personally. Do expect the Lord to to take careful attention to your life. You know, Jesus would often say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And we can tune in or tune out, but the Lord is always speaking, particularly through the declaration of his word. Jesus turns to Simon and he calls him Simon. And this would have struck Peter because it was Jesus who said, you shall no longer be called Simon, but Peter, which means rock. Jesus called him Rocky, the original Rocky. And yet at this stage, Jesus calls him Simon. And some would say, well, Judging by the fact that earlier in the chapter, Peter had returned to his old self. In verse 3, we see Peter say to the disciples that were gathered, I am going fishing. Peter was the one who instigated the fruitless fishing expedition. I am going fishing. And they all said, yeah, you know what? We're just going to come with you. Peter had returned to his old ways. He had returned to that which was familiar. He had returned to that which was comfortable, that which was normal for him. And Jesus meets him right where he is. And he calls him by his old name, the name that he would have been known by as a fisherman, Simon. Now, that could have hit Peter a couple of different ways. On one hand, that could have broken his heart. You no longer see me as the rock, the original Rocky. And yet, it could have also struck him differently because the name Simon means God has heard. Now, we know from having walked through the story that Simon denied Jesus. He denied him royally. Jesus had predicted that before the rooster crows, Peter would deny him three times. And this was in the face of Peter's grand gesture, his grand declaration. Though all may fall away because of you. Like, he's talking about the other disciples, you know. I don't know about these guys, these lightweights. Though they might fall away, I will never fall away. Mm. Mm. And even after Jesus predicts the fact that he's going to deny him, what does Peter say? Verse 35. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. My grandma would say Peter's chest was high. He was very full of self-confidence. 
He was filled with hubris. A sense of self-confident pride. And yet, when it came to it, what happened? Peter denied Jesus, just as he said. And there's that moment where, as he makes the last denial on the rooster crows and their eyes meet across the courtyard, and Peter sees Jesus as he's there under arrest, and he's broken, absolutely and entirely broken. And it says that he went out and he wept. This man who was so full of grand intentions. This man who was so full of great confidence and determination was brought to the end of himself and was broken. Maybe that was the reason why he went back fishing. Maybe that was the reason why, you know, maybe he felt disqualified. I'm no longer worthy to be called a follower of Christ. I'm no longer worthy to be called his disciple. And although I've seen him raised from the dead, when it comes to me personally, that doesn't really have any relevance for my future because I failed him so poorly. And so as Jesus said, Simon, maybe there was a sense of it alerting him to the fact that God had heard his heart. You see, Jesus met him right where he was. Jesus met him in that place of brokenness. And that is the place that God wants to meet you. And God wants to meet me. In Psalm 51, it says these words. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, God delights in brokenness. And brokenness is a necessary experience for all of the Lord's followers to go through. Jesus said in Matthew that we can fall on the rock and be broken. Or else the rock will fall on us and we'll be crushed. And in coming to Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, and falling on him, there will result in a brokenness. A brokenness that may be painful and yet beneficial and yet necessary. You see, like Peter, there are many of us who are filled with self-confidence. There are many of us who are filled with pride. Many of us who are self-righteous. We feel assured in our own works, in our goodness. We feel that we're not just moral people, but we're good Christians. We look down at others in our self-righteousness. 
and there's a need to be broken. Because as Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that, Lord, you've blessed me, aren't I great? Some of you will think, what's wrong with that sentence? Lord, you've blessed me, aren't I great? There's nothing wrong with that. That's, 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 that's high praise to be given to the Lord. But truly, the blessings of the Lord make truly rich. But there is a sense in which we have to always be aware of our own depravity. We have to always be aware of our own lack. We have to always be aware of the fact that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And so it's not a case of, Lord, you have blessed me, aren't I great? It's, Lord, you have blessed me, aren't you great? Aren't you great? And when we find ourselves in that place where our own earnestness and grand intentions cloud our minds in thinking that we are something special, that we are untouchable. You know those times when we're entirely self-opinionated and there's a matter under discussion that is really, it's not that big a deal. It's not a matter that is life or death, but our opinion must be heard and our opinion must be, must be followed. There's a need for brokenness. We can find ourselves in a place where, you know what, we're willfully defiant. Because we know better, and yet we absolutely refuse to do it. Because it doesn't suit us. Because we think we know better. There's a need for brokenness. In those occasions when we have views on things that we're not prepared to submit for others to scrutinize. As far as we're concerned, we know what we're doing. As far as we're concerned, we're right. And we're happy to live with that mild sense of delusion that it was my idea and it makes sense to me and so it must be right. We won't share it with others in order that they might contradict it. See, there are so many subtle ways in which we find ourselves in a place of delusion, in a place of esteeming ourselves more highly than we ought to, as Paul said in Romans. And for some of us, we've experienced that brokenness. For some of us, in that moment, you know, we went into the exam feeling like we were going to ace it. And we barely come out with a pass and we feel dejected and we feel broken. We absolutely shouted the person down and said they were wrong only for them to produce the evidence that they weren't wrong. But you were. And in that moment you feel that brokenness. That very thing that you said you would never do, you find yourself doing. And in that, you experience 
brokenness. It's healthy and it's necessary. Brokenness is the healthy humility at the awareness and experience of our sin that leads to submission in the face of Christ. You see, fundamentally, it comes down to are we in a place where we will say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord? Even when we have our own ideas and schemes, that we will say, not my will, but your will be done. And you see, God, Hebrews 12 tells us, God chastens those whom he loves. He disciplines, he corrects those whom he loves. And so you can anticipate that where there are those hard and knotted areas of our hearts, like wild wood from the forest in need of treatment, the Lord has the treatment for it. The Lord has the remedy. And that remedy will often involve some degree of breaking to the point where we're ready to throw our hands up, just like Peter, and say, I'm not worthy. And so as Jesus speaks to Peter here, and he says, do you love me more than these? There's somewhat of a debate as to what he's talking about. Is Jesus talking about the other disciples? I mean, Peter, you said that even if all these fall away, I will never fall away. But what happened to you, Peter? Fell off, bro. All right, these guys ran, but they didn't deny me. You denied me and ran. So what, you're trying to say now that you love me more than these? That could be the sentiment in mind. Others more commonly think that Jesus is looking at the fishing paraphernalia. The instruments of Peter's employment. His boat, his nets, etc., etc. Peter, do you love me more than these? I mean, you went fishing. Is that really what you want? Is that really what your heart's about? Is that what, really what you're ready to give the rest of your life for? Having spent three and a half years with me? Seeing me now raised from the dead? Is that really what you think you're about? And some of us need to consider that question. Because for some of us, like Peter, we give the impression that actually, that is what our lives are about. We've, we've, we've bought into the the Western mindset. Career is what it's all about. And get your material things, your property, and get your status, and get your respect. And that's what it's all about. And following Jesus, oh, you know, that's a boat on. It, it finds its place in the grand scheme of my endeavors. And Jesus would say to you, do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than your career, more than success and respect, material gain, more than academic excellence?
when Jesus asked Peter this, he used the word agape or agapo when he used the word love. And this is where the English kind of fails us. We talked about this a few months ago. There's four different words in Greek that's used for love. And here Jesus uses the strongest sense, the, the unconditional giving of love. That is an expression of the will without any expectation of return. Simon, do you agape me? The first thing Peter does is very wise. (laughs) You see, flashbacks to the moment when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, start haunting him. His response is, yes, Lord. You know. You know. Even in the times of our greatest failures and our deepest regrets, we can be encouraged that the Lord does know our hearts. And Peter knew that he couldn't deceive, he couldn't deceive Jesus. He couldn't t- tell him one thing and it not be true. I mean, Jesus walks through walls now. I mean, if, he, if there was any time before when he felt like he could have maybe got away with it, at this point in, in time, there's no sense of trying to pull the wool over Christ's eyes. Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses the word phileo, friendly affection, the affection of a friend, of a brother. And it's a lesser intense word than agape. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? Love me intensely. And Peter says, not wanting to overstate his case. You know that I I, I, I have a friendly affection towards you. And yet in response to that, Jesus says, feed my lambs. And as Jesus goes through these responses, we see a progression He goes from lambs, feed my lambs, and then he goes to tend my sheep, and then he goes on to feed my sheep. And in the Greek, the the term my sheep is, is strengthened in that third instance, my dear sheep. And so in this, we see the Lord is restoring Peter to the call. And not only is he restoring Peter to the call of discipleship, but he's restoring Peter to the call of leadership amongst his people. You ever been been at a place where you thought that you'd never come back from? Some of us know what it is to feel backslidden. Some people have backslidden, to use a familiar term. To the point where you've walked away from the Lord, you've walked away from fellowship, you've walked away from his word, and you've gone out in the wilderness. And maybe in that season, you felt like you were too far gone to come back from. And yet be encouraged. Because not even Simon Peter, who blatantly denied the Lord multiple times, was too far gone. Some of us may not have been to that extreme, but in our hearts we've been backslidden. Where we've had those 
seasons of coldness. There were seasons of indifference and apathy. That whatever attitude towards the Lord, whatever attitude towards fellowship, whatever. And we're there in, 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 in bodily presence, but our hearts are absent. Regardless of the situation, you're not too far gone. The Lord still has a purpose. He's out working. And so he says to Peter, feed my lambs. And then he asks him a second time, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. And Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. Each time undoing or reversing the instance of denial that Peter had given. And it's, it's beautiful to see the way the Lord, this, the Lord does this with Peter. Because imagine if he stopped here at two times. And Peter's feeling encouraged, but at the back of his mind he's haunted. Boy. But you're not. I know, I know it was, he asked me two times if I love him and then he, 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 he charged me to, to, to care for his sheep. But I denied him three times. I mean, surely that was one too many. He never addressed that. And yet we see Jesus go to the full extent in expressing his forgiveness and restoration. And it's interesting because the third time when Jesus speaks to Peter, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He switches it. Peter's responded. Jesus has said, do you agape me? Peter's responded, Lord, you know I phileo you. Do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Jesus is now, but Peter, do you phileo me? It's not absolutely clear why Jesus switched the question at this point. It could be maybe one of two things. Maybe Jesus switched the question to help Peter examine himself. You say you phileo me. I just, I just met you out fishing. Do you even have phileo for me, Peter? Do you even have brotherly affection for me, Peter? I mean, this is what you're telling me, Peter, but do you really? Maybe it was a a call to self-examination in a critical sense. Maybe it was Jesus trying to help Peter understand that. I know, Peter, that you actually have more than that for me, but you don't want to say. Because you've learned your lesson. And you don't want to overstate your case like you used to do. Maybe there's a sense of encouragement in this. Maybe the the tone, which we can't hear in the text as we read it, is, Peter, do you really only phileo me? Is is that really how you feel about me? Come on, Peter. Because I know that you got more for me than that. Maybe that was the tone with which Jesus reached out. And yet, As Peter responded, he responded grieved because he had to say it to him the third time. 
And in saying it the third time, he took Peter's own phrase and used it back to him. And maybe that grief was because of the self-examination that he was really being put through. And so Peter, again, calls on the omniscience of the Lord. Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And there we see Jesus call him to feed his dear sheep. And in this restoration, the Lord, the Lord points out that this isn't a momentary acceptance, Peter, but this is a, a call to follow me. This is a call to serve me fully, continuously. I'm not waiting for you to fall over again. I'm not waiting for you to flop again. You're accepted. Because Jesus' response going from lambs to sheep to deer sheep is suggesting to Peter a ministry of longevity. That which Peter had declared he was going to have in his own strength. Lord, I'll be there to the end. Ride or die. Make them drawing sword when the soldiers come. Cutting off ears. This real great intent that he had in his heart. He was unable to fulfill in his own strength. Isn't that so true for us? Unable to fulfill it in our own strength. And yet we see Jesus affirming his grace to Peter. I'm calling you to longevity. This, as, as, as my sheep mature from lambs to sheep to deer sheep, you're going to be there feeding and leading them. Jesus weren't trying to put Peter in the bin. But in the light of his brokenness, he had purpose to use him. And he goes on to even say, you know, you said, silent text, implication, Peter, you know, you said you're going to die for me. Well, you're going to get crucified for me. You see, Verse 19 makes it clear that verse 18 is talking about the manner in which Peter will die. And the phrase that's used here, you will be led and your hands will be stretched out and you will be carried to where you don't want to go. This phrase was an accepted reference to crucifixion. And so Jesus predicts his end. That very thing that you said you would do. That very thing that you had in, in your heart intended. And you have to understand it wasn't a bad thing. But what was bad was the fact that Peter felt he had the means within himself to do it. Jesus is commending his grace. His grace that is sufficient. The Lord's grace is sufficient for you. And maybe you've had grand intentions to serve the Lord and to glorify his name. And you flopped and you flopped horribly. And maybe you flopped publicly. And yet the Lord says, it's not over. It's not over. Trust me. Rely on me. Be broken and humble before me. And I will use you.
No pure and Richard Sib says this about brokenness. Weakness with watchfulness will stand when strength with too much confidence fails. Weakness with acknowledgement of it is the fittest seat and subject for God to perfect his strength in. For consciousness of our infirmities drives us out of ourselves to him in whom our strength lies. Somebody once said, in order to be greatly used by God, we must be deeply bruised by him. And we're able to rejoice at the grace and forgiveness of God. And not only are we to rejoice at it, at what it, it implies for us in Christ, but we're also to rejoice at what it implies for others in Christ. Because so often, this is easy for us to receive for ourselves. Oh, maybe not so easy when we consider our failings and our wrongs. But then, when we see others who fail, we can be so quick to write them off. When we see others fall, we can be so quick to write them off. We can be so unforgiving and ungracious. We can be so uncompassionate. We can even lack faith for their restoration. I found myself in that situation in a very challenging way. A friend of mine fell off hard, sexual sin. And I found it hard to even have faith for restoration. And through the process, the Lord had to humble me. And I remembered the vision of the animals that Peter had in Acts chapter 10. And all these animals that were forbidden to be eaten by the Jews. And they were like untouchable. And yet the Lord says to Peter in the vision, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And then Peter begins to argue with God. No, Lord, I will not do such a thing. Killing these untouchable animals. I am mud. And Jesus says, hold on a minute. Don't you call common what I have cleansed. Don't you call unclean what I have made clean. And it's important to us that we not only receive this for ourselves, but we also receive this when we witness the fall and the breaking of others. Because the blood of Christ is able to cleanse to the uttermost. Amen? And so as they're walking along now, well, they rise to walk. Jesus says to him, follow me. And again, this is an affirmation of that call that he received at the beginning in verse 19. The Lord says to Peter, follow me, restored, reinvigorated, renewed to run again. And you know, you might be thinking, how do I come back from that place? 
How do I come back from that place of brokenness? How do I come back from that place of feeling like I've flopped beyond repair? I just need to be thrown away and be replaced by a new model. How do I come back from that place? Simple. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Renew your commitment to follow him. To seek him through his word. To be sensitive to the voice of his spirit. As the Holy Spirit applies his word to your heart. And rise up and follow. And so they're moving off now and Peter sees John. And he says, what about John? Now, I always read this as Peter kind of feeling like, Lord, you just said that they're going to take me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me in your name. You know, I don't really looking forward to that, you know. That's not, I mean, I know you're restoring me and, you know, maybe that's what I've got to, you know, expect because I, I flopped you and that. But not really, I'm not really feeling that. Furthermore, what about John? What, what's his plight going to be? If that's what I've got to go through, what's his plight going to be? And that's how I always read it. Maybe that's because of how, that's how I would have said it. <laughs> But yet, listen, we have to understand this. The early church recognized it to be an honor to die for the Lord. Tradition tells us that when Peter was killed, he was crucified. But furthermore, when they came to crucify Peter, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And so they turned him upside down when they crucified him. What we see here more so in Peter's asking about John is him having an effect. You remember throughout the the life of Christ as they followed Christ, who was it that was fundamentally closest to Jesus? Who are those names that you always hear with Jesus? Peter and John. Peter and John. Peter and John. These guys were tight. Who was it that were the first at the tomb after Mary Magdalene? Peter and John. These guys were brethren. And so Peter was showing an affectionate concern for John. An affectionate interest for John. All eyes and focus had been on Peter. But even in his restoration, he had thoughts for his brother. And yet Jesus says, basically, don't watch John. Whatever I have for John is for John. And what I have for you is for you. Peter, you follow me. And whether it's for better or for worse, we're we're called not to watch any face, as they say. We're called not to allow our commitment in following Christ to be affected or impacted by anyone else's walk. You see, we may esteem someone very highly, and then when they fall, we get rocked to the point where we're unstable. Wow, if that person can fall, if if that person can flounder, 
What about me? We follow people as they follow Christ. And this reaffirms the fact that each of us are called to run our race with patience. You've got to run your race. And there'll be people that you started out with in the faith and they're not around no more. And you can't let that deter you. And there are people that you are walking with now and they might not be around in the future. You can't let that deter you. It's interesting how Jesus' response became (laughs) an unwelcome rumor. The rumor spread that John wasn't going to die. And yet John has to write to clarify this. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus never said that I wasn't going to die until he comes. Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so John's killing this rumor that had evidently spread between the time of the actual event and the time of his writing. And I think that um, sometimes we have a romantic notion of the early church and, and, uh, as if they'd done no wrong. The early church and they walked with Jesus and wow, the, you know, the spirit of the Lord came upon them and, and it, it was just, it must have been amazing. I just wish we were living like the early church. Like, 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 the, new, like the book of Acts. Like the... Yeah. And they still had rumors and lies spreading around them times. And heresies that they were having to fend off from the outset. So don't have this romanticized notion of what the early church... Like, we need to get back to the early church. Like Ananias and Sapphira, back to the early church, yeah? So you come into church with your lying self and get wheeled out dead. It wasn't all fun and games and flawless living amongst the church. This says to us that people are people. We're fallen in need of God's grace. And praise be to God for his grace toward the broken. And so as we conclude the book of John, are you following Christ? You are called to follow him, him who is the son of God. You are called to follow the Messiah. And it doesn't matter what your past contains. It doesn't matter how badly you failed. It doesn't matter how badly you flopped. The Lord is able to forgive to the uttermost, to restore and to renew and to set you on his path. And we don't need anything more than even what John's presented to us here. I mean, John makes it clear, look, what I've given you is just a, a snapshot. In these 21 chapters, they didn't have chapters in those days. But in this, in this writings, I've given you a snapshot. Jesus done so much, there wouldn't be enough parchment in the world to contain the writings thereof. 
Jesus is all that I've said and so much more. There is no other name by which a person can be saved. None whatsoever. And so as we close, I want you to consider this. God has the unique ability to make something even more valuable by breaking it. And you may have experienced brokenness. If you haven't, I'm sure at some point you will. But know that God is adding value to your life. He's making you more like Jesus through it. Embrace it. Embrace the Lord and live. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we just look to you and thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you care about us enough, Lord, to give us personal attention. Even when we're in the crowd, even when we're among the congregation, you see us and know us personally. And in that, Lord, you are attending to our hearts, Lord, just as we need in order that your will might be done. And Lord, as much as we experience brokenness, brokenness and feel the pain, we're encouraged that there is a greater purpose in it, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to be discouraged or to be deterred or to be hindered or regulated by the lives of others around us. Lord, may we be those who pursue you wholeheartedly, fully heartedly following after you. Seeking all that you have for us, Lord. That we would go all out until the end. Help us, Lord, I pray. We thank you for your forgiveness through the blood of Christ. We thank you for our justification affirmed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Lord. Be our strength and our guide, we pray. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.